Hey, we're going to have a little bit of fun this morning. Is that all right? A little fun in Jesus. I'm going to start by asking this question. How many of you, time of confession, let's get right before the Lord before we get in the Word. Is that okay? How many of you have ever received a speeding ticket? See, you know why I love this? Keep your hand raised. Keep your hand raised. The Lord needs to see it. The reason why I love this, some of y'all are like, raise your hand, raise your hand. The reason why I love this church, because it's filled with sin. I love it. I love it. And the fact that you raise your hand shows that other people's sin makes you feel better about yourself. Because now you're like, now keep your hand raised, okay? Everyone, if you ever got a speeding ticket, how many of you have received five or more? BK, our staff member, I didn't check that background check. And I'm sure, listen, we have a tradition. Keep your hands raised. I'm not done with you yet. We're going to confess some stuff. Hold on. My man's raising his hand. You ain't but five years old, buddy. I'm sure in the sweet chapel where our older sweet saints are, there's probably one or two. That's it. I promise you that are raising their hand. Okay, keep your hand raised. How many of you have received 10 or more? My Lord. All right. No, this is good. This is good. Keep it raised. This is not shame and condemnation. This is not shame and condemnation. This is, no, don't feel shamed about this. Do not feel shamed. We're having some fun, all right? I want you to know you're, you're in mixed company. Fifteen or more? Rode your bike to church? No, I'm joking. I'm joking. You can put your hands down. You can put your hands, you did, put your hands down. I'm having a little bit of fun with this. Put your hands down. I have to admit, um, I have a heavy foot. And I always travel like I think there's a sense of urgency. And for all of you who have been stopped, specifically the ones who have been stopped a lot, normally here's what happens. You get pulled over. Your knees get really weak. You put your cell phone down like you weren't texting. <laughs> for some reason, you turn the radio down as if that's going to have any effect or not. You get a ticket, right? You turn it down. You put it on Christian music all of a sudden. <laughs> you put your Bible there right next to you so he sees that you're a Christian. Like that's going to get you out of a ticket. And they walk up to the window. What does the police officer normally ask? Either license or registration, or do you know how fast you were going? And then normally, I mean, I don't know what comes out of your mouth, but you're either like, no, I had no clue. Or sorry, my wife's in labor. Or sorry, I'm late to work, right? Or I'm miss, about to miss The Bachelor. It starts in 10 minutes. Or Chick-fil-A's about to close. You have all these excuses, right? And normally what happens is regardless of how good your excuse is, you're probably going to get a ticket. Now, let's be honest. Whose fault was it? You can get frustrated at the police officer for not being nice enough to let you go, but you broke the law. And what we normally naturally do is we try to hide behind all of these, all of these excuses. What can I say that would have this police officer get me out of it. And listen, you broke the law, you broke the law. The easiest thing to say is, I did it. I'm sorry. My wife loves to watch live PD. And so we had it on just two nights ago, and the, the cop pulled a guy over. It's a young guy, and the cop walks up to the window, and the guy says, I'm guilty, can you give him my ticket? I was like, I like that guy. That's the way it should always work. It's quicker for everybody. But normally these excuses do not prevent us from breaking the law. We've already broken the law. It's done. And this next passage of Scripture 
What Paul is doing is saying, hey, you can give excuse after excuse after excuse, but you broke the law. You're guilty. And you can get mad at God if you want to, but whose fault is it? Whose fault is it? Is it God's fault that we sinned? Is it God's fault that we sinned? No, it's our fault. But what we're about to see is Paul begins to eliminate all these excuses that often still ring true today. People want to say God's too good of a God to send anybody to hell. Or people don't want to believe that this sweet elderly lady who's a good person but doesn't know Jesus won't go to hell. Right? How would God do that? She's sweet. She's older. She's a good person. And Paul is about to destroy all of these myths about salvation. And in fact, here's what he's done. If you've been with us from chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through chapter 3, verse 20, do you know what he's basically doing? He's letting everybody know, none of you are worthy of heaven. You think, man, that's a pretty depressing sermon from Paul. But here's what he's doing. He is trying to bury the flesh so that the spirit can live. He is burying the flesh to let you know there's nothing good within you. Nothing. And he is going to bury it. Thomas Watson said, until sin is bitter, Christ will never be sweet. What Paul is doing is getting everybody on the same page so you understand that sin is bitter. When Christine was up here and she was, she was mentioning stuff, and I'm sure sin started coming out, right? Anybody confess some stuff you're ashamed of? Listen, that, that, that's not necessarily a bad thing because, because you won't understand the cost and the weight of the, cro- the cross until you understand the weight of your sin. Like you have to understand what your sin has actually done here. And so it's not bad feeling horrible about your, your sin. Don't live there, but it's not bad. But then you have this grace that you can live in that should cause you to be thankful. So look at what Paul does. If you have your Bibles, turn to the Romans, verse 2, chapter 12. And I just want you to listen because it's going to get pretty confusing. But here's what he says. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. He's speaking of who here? Gentiles. Those who didn't have the law of God. What is the law of God that he's referring to? Some people think easy, the Ten Commandments. No, no, no. The law of God he's referring to is the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. So what he is saying is, listen, if, if you are a person who doesn't have the law, right, He's speaking to the Gentiles. They didn't have the law. The Jews had the law because they were God's chosen people. For he was saying, for all who have sinned without the law, he's speaking to the Gentiles. You don't have the law, yet you still sinned. You still broke the law whether you knew it or not. And that makes you guilty. We're on the same page here. So here's what he's saying. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law, now he's speaking to who? Jews. Because they had the law. Let's put it this way. Pretend when you see the word Jews, for, the, for, for those of you who have no background to this, it's okay. Pretend for, when you see the word Jew, pretend he's speaking to Christians. Insert that word Christian if you want to. Gentiles, those who are not Christians. Does that make sense? 
just so it's a bit easier. All right, so for those who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law, speaking to Christians, Jews, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who, who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. Pretty easy to understand, right? Not at all. <laughs> they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Now, this, what he is speaking to, what he is speaking to here is the Gentiles, Romans 2.15, that God has put the law in every man's heart, right? Uh, this is why when Adam and Eve sinned, I said this before, but they went and hid because they were so shameful that they sinned against God. They knew they had done something wrong. Uh, the, the toddler child who's trying to do something wrong and they hide, it's because it's innately already in them. You have met plenty of people who are good people, and they're not Christians, right? In fact, let's be honest, we've met a lot of people who are better people than some Christians we know, right? Now, many of these good people who are not Christians, they know automatically Okay, I probably shouldn't cheat on my spouse. It's probably not a good thing. Also, probably shouldn't steal. And also shouldn't murder, right? How do they know these things? Well, it's, an, it's innately in them. They know that these are wrong without having to be a Christian. This is what he's talking about here. Even though you're not a Christian, you know what's right from wrong, what offends God to some degree, because it's written on your heart. So what Paul is doing here is he is absolutely dismissing Everybody, like he's basically telling everybody, you're all horrible. Like, gosh, Paul. Now, this is not anti-Semitism. That, that, that means there is, there is hostility towards Jews. That, that's not, Paul loves Jews. There's no hostility towards Jewish people here. Okay, this isn't Paul being racist. No, this is Paul helping them to really understand the weight of their sin and where they're at. In fact, there's almost this tone of love, like, you have to know this is wrong. You have to know that your security is false security. What you're, what you're securing is not real. Let me give you an example to make this easier. He's putting everybody on the same playing field. For a person to speed and to see that there was a speed limit that said 35 and they were going 70, when they get pulled over, I'll use the same analogy to some degree, and, and the cop asks them, did you know you're speeding? And, they'll, and they're honest. They say, yes, they're still guilty. They saw the speed limit. To the person who speeds and didn't see the speed limit, it's still what? The Jews had the speed limit. Gentiles didn't have the speed limit. But they were both speeding. That's exactly what God is doing here. That's what he's telling them. Listen, whether you saw the speed limit or you didn't see the speed limit, you broke it. Okay? Both of you are sinners. Both of you are doomed. Now, Paul is helping them to understand that he then he again begins to say, on that day. Now, what day is he talking about? What day is he talking about? You're like, I don't know. You're the preacher. You tell me. <laughs> well, the, the day of wrath, the day of judgment, right? Uh, this is not about salvation. This is about the day of judgment, by the way. He says, according to my gospel. Now, by this time, Paul had been preaching for about 20 years. He's been preaching the gospel. And he wants them to understand the gospel and the grace of the gospel because these people are legalists. And they're, they're living under legalism. Okay? And so he wants them to understand the gospel is grace. It didn't abolish the law, but it fulfilled the law. That's what Christ did. 
And he says, on that day, according to my gospel, according to the truth, according to the word of God, on that day, the day of judgment, God would judge the secrets of men. Whew. Now, let's stop here. Now, Jews thought we're God's chosen people. We're immune to God's judgment. That doesn't refer to us. That is false, by the way. Uh, Christians in this room, what you do now in secret, in private and public will be displayed one day. I don't know if that terrifies anybody or not, but it should. It should bring you to a healthy fear of God to say he's going to know every thought. He's going to know every action, whether private or public. God is going to know the secrets of everything that I've ever done. And on the day of judgment, they're going to be exposed. I don't know about you, but I don't want that. It's terrifying. Now, so he puts everybody in this guilty package, right? Then look what he does. He says, how do we know you're guilty, Jew? Now, the Jews um, had this, this false self-security. And, and here's what they would hide underneath. They would hide underneath their name, that they were Jewish, that, they, that they, their nationality, they were Jew. We're fine. We're good to go. For example, let me, let me, the easiest way to translate it to our church is for the youth, students, even kids in here, you are not saved from the wrath just because your parent is a Christian. Like, oh, what a jerk pastor. How dare him? <laughs> no, you have to know you are not saved from God's wrath unless you place your personal faith in Jesus Christ. Your parents' faith cannot save you on the day of judgment. Their faith cannot cover your sins. Only Jesus can cover your sins. So if you're in this room today and, and you're a student, a high school student, or, or you're in kids' ministry, let, let, me, let me tell you, God loves you so incredibly much that he sent his son Jesus so you can have a relationship with Jesus. See, the Jews thought, well, I'm part of the family. I'm a trust fund baby. I'm good. And Paul's like, no, you're not good. It doesn't matter who your daddy and mommy are. You're not good. You're not okay. You know, I joke, but my son Balin, um, every once in a while, he'll throw out, but my dad's the pastor. <laughs> Say it one more time. Say it one more time. <laughs> and, and what I have to tell the teachers in the, in the weekday preschool or, or kids' ministry is like, hey, I don't care if I'm the pastor. You treat him like you treat everybody else. Like when he breaks a rule, he gets the same consequence everybody else does. I don't want to raise him to be entitled and think he's exempt from punishment. See, the Jews thought they were exempt from punishment because of who their daddy was. And I don't mean heavenly daddy. I mean Jewish daddy. They were born into this, so they thought they were exempt. And they probably had this entitlement attitude that created legalism. And and in fact... Look at what happened. There are eight verbs that are used here that Paul begins to call out their, their false sense of security. But if you call yourself a Jew, okay, now you think you're good because of your bloodline. And you, what else? Rely on the law. So now they were all about the law. I mean, they just thought if we just rely on this, Right? If we, if we know this and we study it, we're good to go. How many of you know that you can have tons of religious deeds and tons of biblical knowledge and still be empty of spiritual fruit? 
Don't let this fool you. Just because we have religious deeds, you can still be empty of spiritual fruit. And this is what Paul is trying to get to here. It's like you are all deceived. You think because you know the Word of God that you're good. No, you don't even do the Word of God. You're not okay. And this isn't even a heart of, of he's being mean. No, this is, can you hear this tone here? It's like, please, I don't want you to die and go to hell because you did the wrong things. Please, please. Please know that none of this saves you. Scripture memory doesn't save you. Quoting scripture doesn't save you. Teaching Bible study doesn't save you. Coming to church doesn't save you. Please don't rely on any of this. Please. There's only one gospel that saves. This is Paul's heart and tone to these people. And so he's having to strip everything from them. And and so he goes on. Look at what else we see. And they, where's it at? And they boast in God. There's a sense of arrogance and entitlement. Again, this is, you see a bunch of legalism here going on. Then look, and know his will. What else? And approve. Look at all these verbs. What is excellent? Because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, he tells them, you're sure? A light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. So what is Paul doing here? He is saying, listen, you know it, you rely on it, you even teach it, but you don't do it. You hypocrite. This, this is a good place to Stop. And self-examine all of ourselves for a minute. To say, how am I doing? Even me as a pastor, I thought, man, I have to get up here and teach every single Sunday. And there are times that I fail in what I'm teaching, to be transparent with you. Not because I want to make it a habitual thing, but it's because the reality of my, my depravity as a man. And so Paul is not saying that you're not supposed to sin. But I believe Paul is speaking to those who are sinning, sinning and have no conviction, no spiritual biblical conviction for their sin. You know, he is saying, listen, this, this sin should, 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 should drop you. It should hurt you. You should feel it. You, you should understand that, that, that there's, there's, there's sin that's carrying you somewhere and, it, and it's taking you somewhere. And you shouldn't be okay with that. Like if you can leave here and continue sinning freely tomorrow. Like church, there's a spiritual issue there. And that terrifies me. And that's what Paul's getting to. He's like, man, you, you know the Bible. You do other religious deeds. But this is scary because you're not, you're not actually applying the Bible. You're not doing what you preach. And that's terrifying. So why Paul is breaking all this legalism, you know who the legalists are, right? You have to explain that? Man, those, those, and I shared some of this, but you ever met people that they're so strict on, they're kind of like, if they'll sit in the sermon, they're trying to figure out what I said wrong. Mm. They already have my email pulled up. Come on, say it, say it. There it goes, oh, yeah. I got my Bible app up, and he's wrong. Can't wait to get him. It's like they're fruit inspectors. 
Am I getting somewhere here? Some of you aren't laughing like, whatever. Where's that in the Bible, fruit inspector? Probably talking to you today. Do you know what I'm talking about? See, I'm preaching now. But, but, but the Jews were fruit inspectors. They, they inspected every other fruit but their own. And while they were internally molding away, the outside looked great, but the inside was filled with worms, eating itself out from within because there was no true foundation in their heart. And Paul is saying, stop being a fruit inspector. And you wonder, why? What's the big deal about being a fruit inspector? I love being heaven's gatekeeper. I'm good at it. I call out sin. I stand for biblical truth. Paul did it. I want to be Paul. Well, first you need to be Jesus. Be Jesus. The ones who gracefully walked with the sinners, exposed their sin, and loved them well. What's the big deal? I'll tell you the big deal. I'm glad you asked, class. Here he calls them a hypocrite. You then who teach others do not teach yourself. While you preach against stealing, you steal. Now Paul is just not giving hypotheticals. This is straight up. He is telling them, listen, remember Jesus came into the temple for the first time and he said, this is my father's house, supposed to be a house of what? But you made it a den of what? Yes, they were stealers. They cheated off taxes. They they stole from the poor so the rich can get richer. I mean, these weren't good people here, but these were Jewish people who knew the law. And he is saying, listen, you are a thief. Why do you preach? Do not steal. Yet you steal. It doesn't make any sense. There's there's something not connecting here. He says, you say that one must not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? Remember here, if you look back in Matthew, um, Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees against adultery, but they wanted to find a loophole for adultery. They thought, well, maybe if we don't act on it, but we just fantasize, it's okay. Fantasizing is not okay. Unless it's with your own spouse, that is not okay. And Jesus is speaking against that. He says, I tell you, if you look at a woman with lustful thoughts and you're fantasizing, it's not okay. That too is sin. So what he is speaking to the the Jews here in Matthew, they wanted to find a loophole to say, yes, I'm married, but is it okay if I still fantasize? And Paul is saying, no. No, that's adultery too. So here he's speaking right against that. Listen, you tell them not to commit adultery, yet you want to find loopholes to sin. And the heart is evil. We will find new ways to sin, won't we? In fact, we will work harder to sin than we will to be obedient. We will set up a date to sin. Let me, let me set up this sin day. And you would take your time investing in how you're going to sin until you arrive to the sin that's only going to lead to your destruction. And we will do that. And we do it over and over and over. And what's the consequence? You're a bad God. Why is this happening to me? Where are you now? And this is exactly what he talks about next. Look here. The name of God is blasphemed because of you. Listen to what happened. Listen to what happened to the Jews. Because they sinned, they knew the law, but they sinned. Consequence will come upon them, right? You see it all throughout the Old Testament. The temple's broken down. The walls are broke because of their sin. 
What would happen from the outsiders when they saw people wrestling with their sin, they would say, where is your God? And they would blame God because of their sin. And so what Paul is saying is like, you hypocrite, you know the law, yet you don't do the law. And when destruction of your sin comes upon you, people start to blame God because you're living in disobedience. Because of you, you give God a bad name. I've done this one time, and I will probably never do it again unless I really feel the the Spirit leading me to. There, There was, when I was a college pastor, there was two scenarios. One, we had college students who would come on Wednesday night to our worship service, and they were, man, they were raising their hands. They were leading a Bible study for me. And then on Sunday, it's like they were living like Satan's child. And it was happening over and over and over and over. And so I had to pull the young man aside and say, hey, listen, man, I need you to get off the fence, but you need to pick a side. Because the way you're living now, you're giving God a very bad name. And you're thinking, gosh, that's harsh, Pastor. Well, I think this is worse off to be told this. (laughs) To be told, can you imagine, you are giving God a bad name? That's what Paul is telling them here. So they're, they're feeling it. So Paul is eliminating all of these different things. Then he goes into this circumcision. You guys ready for this? He now speaks to what brought them in a covenant before God. When the Jews were born, the male boys, eight days old, they would circumcise them. This gave them a covering to be part of God's covenant. In fact, Exodus chapter 4, Moses did not circumcise his son. You guys remember that? And Moses was about to be a leader amongst the people and lead the people. And because Moses didn't circumcise his son, his wife took a flint stone and said, if you're going to be leading people, we need God's covering, and you haven't even circumcised your son. So she got a flint stone and circumcised the son herself. I didn't say flint stone. Like, meet the Flintstones. No, say Flint Stone. <laughs> and she circumcised him. Why? So that they can have God's covering and be, co- be part of God's covenant. And so here's what he's saying. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. You know what the church has done and, and to, to replace circumcision? You, don't, you shouldn't see churches doing this, by the way, to dedicate children. Huge problem if you do. Uh, how the church has translated circumcision to, to have a covenant and safety underneath God. You know what the church has done now? It's been doing it for centuries. It shouldn't be a shock to you. It's infant baptism. So, so when an infant, not dedicated, when an infant, it's translated from circumcision to be right with a covenant before God to infant baptism. So uh, there is this theology in the school of thought is, is if I baptize my infant at an early age with water, bapti- ba- water baptism, then he is safe with God. I don't know if I'm going to have to shatter anybody's theology. You're like, oh my gosh. But that is not true. That is not true. Infant baptism does not save you or your child. So this is what the church has done. Okay, we're not circumcising, but we'll do infant baptism because that will save my child. Now, we do it in the Baptist church to some degree. What we call it is parent dedication. What we come up here and say when we have our child in our arm is saying, I devote, or we have this whole ceremony. 
I devote to raising my child in the ways of the Lord, and we say all this stuff. That's our way to commit. Now, what Paul is saying, great if you commit, but if there's no action behind the commitment, what does it matter? So, parents, I'll put a challenge to my wife and I as well. If you stand up here and you commit a child to raise them in the ways of the Lord, and you're not raising them in the ways of the Lord, the commitment meant nothing. All it is is a pretty frame on the wall. Does that make sense? You have to actually follow through. What he is saying is, great, you have circumcision, you, you, you've, you've had infant baptism, you've had parent dedication, great. But if you don't obey God, what does that really even matter? It's hogwash. It's, you can dismiss it. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Very clear, right? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision, but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. Amen for that. Because if you've ever had to try to keep the law, the first five books of the Bible, you would fail. You have failed. And so what he is saying is like circumcisions of the heart. Right? There, there is something else. Who can only circumcise the heart? Jesus. Woo! You mean I don't have to keep all these laws in order to get to heaven? Woo! Let me tell you what's dangerous, and I'll close with this. I went through a period in my life that I would term as the dark night of the soul. I was studying God's word like crazy, and I would say I was a bit of an emotionalist. In fact, I was raised, not speaking against this, by the way, but I I wasn't raised in the church, but I started going to um, a church when I was saved, 18. My sister took me to a church that was, uh, I would say, hyper-charismatic. Um, and I've shared a story before where I'd walk through a line and they'd pray over me and everybody else was falling out in the spirit and I never fell down, so I thought something was wrong with me. Like I thought, I'm just not saved. And everyone was speaking in tongues. And again, if you speak in tongues, I'm not speaking against that. I'm, I'm telling you my experience. And I thought something was wrong with me because none of this happened to me. But I kept going to church like this, and then I visited a Baptist church. Not like this Baptist church, a true Baptist church. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, there was no expression in worship. And nobody talked to you when you preach. Sometimes you're like, hey, I'm preaching better than y'all clapping, but ain't nobody saying anything. And I started, I, I kid you not, I went in and thought, all these people are going to hell I don't hear any speaking in tongues. I don't see anybody falling out. Nobody's running down the aisles. They're all lost. Oh, my gosh. And I was a hardcore legalist. Man. And and then slowly without me knowing, I dig scriptures not to find the truth of God, but to find God to give me something. You ever been there? You ever opened it? Come on, give me something, God. As if he's some kind of Santa Claus and he deserves to speak to me like I deserve it. Come on, give me something. 
And then I went through emotionalism where if I didn't cry, he wasn't present. If I didn't get goosebumps, he wasn't present. If I didn't feel it, he wasn't present. You ever been there? And then here's what happened, my dark night of the soul. I'm being transparent with you. I didn't realize that I had made my emotions my God. I thought goosebumps and crying was in direct relation to God moving or speaking. Now, sometimes that would happen. Uh, if you're tearing up right now, like, oh, gosh. Uh, no. Sometimes that will happen. God will hit our emotions. I'm an emotional guy anyway, but, but what I'm saying is there went a period in my life where if I didn't feel like God was moving or blessing me, something was wrong with me. If I wasn't crying, something was wrong with me. If I wasn't getting fed, everybody loves that word, fed, something was wrong with me. If I, and the list went on. And then God took me to about a year and a half. I'm being incredibly transparent with you. About a year and a half of depression. And the reason why I went through depression, because I got to the point where I stopped crying. I got to the point where I couldn't hear him. I got to the point where I couldn't feel him. And what he was doing without me knowing, I look back now and I see what he did. He stripped me of the false gods in religion. Emotionalism. Being blessed by God every time. Being used by God because I'm so gifted. And I was lonely. No wife in sight. I'm 27 and losing my hair quick. Lord, come on. Ain't good when you're 27 and have a cul-de-sac starting to form. <laughs> Young bucks, yeah, keep, <laughs> keep using that gel, buddy. A year and a half. Can you imagine? I'd be transparent. There's a point where I thought if God left me, I don't even want to live. I'm just being honest with you. If the Creator has left me, what's the point of living on earth? You don't want God against you. A year and a half of emptiness. That was the best maturing time I've ever had in my life. Because it taught me that God's character was not confined to my emotions. God's character was not confined to the blessings. That regardless of how I felt, God's character was consistent. And God is not an emotional prostitute to where we prostitute him to fill emotionalism. God is much greater than that. And he took me to a place I said, God, I don't, I don't need emotions. I don't need blessings. I don't need any of this. If you want me to be single for the rest of my life, I'll do it. Please don't do it, but I will do it. (laughs) 
but he, t- he stripped me of absolutely everything from my life. So that I realized I needed nothing but him. That is the best place you could ever be in your life. To depend on nothing else but God. What Paul is doing, and really I say Paul, but who's the author of this thing? God. There's not a mean tone here. You know what God is doing here? He is stripping them of everything. Because God has such a heart for the people that he's saying, I don't want you to depend on your resources. I don't want you to depend on mommy and daddy. I don't want you to depend on knowledge. I don't want you to depend on your position in the church and religious. I don't want you to depend on anything, nothing at all. No boy, no girl, no woman, no man, no job, no bank account, nothing. I want you to depend solely on God and Christ, the one that has risen those from the dead. That is the heart of God through this message. That is God's heart. So good news if you're in the place today. You're saying, I have nothing, I have no one. Man, praise God, because you need nothing and you need no one but Christ. Because when Christ pulls you out of the valley, you are not mistaken his hand from pulling you out of the ditch from anybody else's hand, and you will know it was the hand of Christ. My wife, and I'll close on this story. And she's, she's as sweet as can be. <laughs> Smile for the camera, honey, because it's about to go on you in three, two, one. Is it on? <laughs> right here. It's beautiful, way out my league. I'm not ashamed to say that. When she was, uh, she, told, she told me a story, and she's not much of a sinner. Um, She told me a story how when she would go to college, it was a 13-mile drive down this long street, just a long road to get to college. And um, there's one particular time where she got pulled over. And you can know my wife, like, sweet and sweet and sweet. Like, my wife doesn't talk about anybody. Like, she's boring. She doesn't like to ever sin. And, but so the cop pulls over two people at a time because my wife and it's my wife and a guy um, he's in the car in front of her, and she's behind him. Um, she didn't tell me, like, he was hitting on her, but um, I don't like him. I don't know who he is, but I don't like him. But there's my wife and a guy, and they both get pulled over by the same cop. So the cop goes to her window, and she's, oh, guilty, I'm guilty. And she's like, she's crying. She's straight up crying. And it's a real cry, not some of the front cries that some of you do to get out of tickets. It's a true, real cry. <laughs> And she's crying, and the cop comes, like, you know you're speeding. She's like, yes, I know I was speeding. You know how fast you were going? She's like, yes, 85 and a 45. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and then the cop goes to um, the jerk's car, the other kid, the kid's car, <laughs> um, the center, dirty kid. <laughs> and he asks the boy, son, do you, do you, know, you know how fast you're going? And the guy starts to like, and this is a true story, the kid starts to lie to get out of it. And so the cop goes back to my wife and says, ma'am, I'm going to do two things today. Because you were honest, I'm going to give you a warning. You can go go off scotch-free. 
goes back to the pervert and says, <laughs> I hope he doubled his fine and said, because you tried to lie and weren't honest, you're getting a ticket. See, on the day of judgment, there's going to be those who are trying to cover up their sin. Just don't confess. You're guilty. You're guilty. The only way to experience freedom is through confession. The only way to experience freedom is through confession. You know when I experienced freedom? At 18 when I told God, I'm guilty. I'm a sinner. I keep messing up. I need you. And God, just as that police officer said, son, now you get it. You're free. Come home to dad. There's some of us in this room that you want to keep justifying your sin. Call it what it is, sin, so you can be free. Let's pray together.